I have a song uh, that certainly fits in with what Joe was um, sharing. And um, there, there's no doubt that uh, whether we're just in the wilderness uh, of, of 2020 or just in general with all things going on uh, around us, uh, or you're going through very specific and concrete challenge uh, wilderness like the Barnes family um, this morning that, uh, that Joe referred to. I have a song uh, that really comes out of the story of Job. Um, uh, one of the uh, verses that if you know anything about Job uh, that you're probably familiar with is, um, you know, in the midst of Job's wilderness and circumstances, he says to, um, to God, though you slay me, I will trust you. Wow, what powerful, powerful words. And when we put that in context with any difficulties that we face and that we can say, though you slay me, and though I don't know uh, exactly how this is going to work out, I will trust you. Shane and Shane uh, has written a beautiful song out of that verse. And um, I wish I had time. I, I, I would show you... Um, the, the story behind the song, and uh, um, um, I watched these guys uh, give the, the, the story uh, of how this song came to be, and I would encourage you to, to look that up on YouTube and, and watch that, the story behind uh, Though You Slay Me. But I just want to read uh, just the beginning of the song to you. I come, God, I come. Return to the Lord, the one who's broken, the one who's torn me apart, you struck me down to bind me up. You say you do it all in love that I might know you in your sufferings. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. Sing a song to the one who's all in need. My heart and flesh may fail, the earth below give way, but with my eyes, with my eyes, I'll see the Lord lifted high on that day. Behold, the lamb that was slain, and I'll know every tear was worth it all. May you hear the voice of God, and may he open us to what he has for us this morning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
affliction momentary not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there but all of it is totally meaningful every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you've got cancer at 40, when a car creams into the sidewalk and takes her out, don't, don't say, it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart, but take these truths and day by day, Focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. Amen. Amen. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Um, we continue into the wilderness. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, he must present us with a moment of crisis. And since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us, he brings us 
through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is a measure of God's love and commitment to us, then we can trust him in our own wilderness seasons. Let's continue our journey together. So this morning, um, we continue to um, look at uh, seven men uh, that went through the wilderness. Uh, and this morning, uh, we're looking at uh, the uh, person of Peter. Uh, everybody knows uh, a lot about uh, Peter. He is that part of all of us uh, that uh, is unbridled and unboundaried and uh, speaks before he thinks, you know, ready, shoot, aim uh, is kind of the way uh, Peter uh, uh, handled uh, much of his life. Uh, we can all identify uh, with him. But certainly part of the story of Peter could easily be the story of hope, uh, not to lose hope. Um, and this session this morning, as much as we're looking at Peter, I would say that what we are also looking at is um, hope, how to have it, how to get it back when we lose it. Uh, we cannot survive without hope. Um, people perish, Proverbs says, uh, for lack of hope. So I want you to pick up your pen. Um, let's go to work deliberately, intentionally, and do some journaling this morning. So three questions for you. Question number one, what gives you hope for today and your future? I mean, think about that for a minute. Uh, everybody's in a different uh, circumstance relative to the wilderness in one sense, because God is a personal God, and he takes us through a personal plan uh, of uh, restoration and growth. So everybody is in a unique place. Um, and then on the other hand, we're all in kind of the same place. Uh, we're all in the wilderness um, together. What gives you hope for today and your future? I would say this, what the Bible teaches about hope um, is that in one sense, it's a whole lot more important what you see in your rear view mirror than it is through your windshield. That hope is more anchored in your past than it is in your future. I don't know my future. Uh, the future can be really scary. What I see up ahead may be really, really scary. But to use that metaphor of being in our car, when I look up and I see the rear view mirror, what I see are the monuments, the zakars of God's faithful care of me. I have hope for the future because he's brought me through many wilderness experiences. And, you know, um, those of you that are younger watching or those, those of us who have um, children, they don't have that experience. And so it's easier to get uh, panicked and upset. Jeff and I were just talking about Catherine, his beautiful daughter. And, you know, she's growing and she's learning. She's younger. 
she doesn't see as much in her rearview mirror as hopefully we do. But our hope in many, many ways um, is anchored in, in the faithfulness of God that we have seen from times in the past. Thank you, God. Question number two, when have you struggled with hope? And I would say, you know, obviously we could make a long list of our present struggles of loss or um, fear and anxiety uh, from the pandemic or uh, whatever else is going on in our culture and, and in your family and in your home. But again, relative to uh, the character of Peter, I would say that there's two um, areas um, of struggling with hope that are particularly poignant with Peter, and that is betrayal and failure. Um, I believe, as I've said many times before, that betrayal is the greatest pain in all the universe. And the reason I say that is because it was the first pain. I mean, um, Scripture is very clear that Lucifer fell from heaven. He betrayed God. That was the first pain that we know of. Uh, God was betrayed by one of uh, his angels, the most beautiful of all the angels, Lucifer. I don't quite understand all that. You know, I've said in seminary classes and I've heard it explained and it's just, it's beyond my pay grade. I don't quite understand how you can be in heaven and fall from heaven. That's, that's kind of a mystery. I mean, you kind of got it all, but you ain't satisfied. Um and betrayal, and, I, and I've certainly been a carrier of betrayal. I have disappointed those that love me, and I have been disappointed by those uh, that I love, and I've experienced betrayal, and it is painful. Um, and then if it's not betrayal, it's failure. I mean, all of us have experienced failure. I blew it. Should never have done that. Um Wish I hadn't done that. Wish I could do that over. Uh, what do you do with failure? You just quit. Um, you know, walking through, uh, restoring trust when failure has been um, experienced is part of being anchored in hope. And we'll tease that out this morning. And then number three, of course, who do you know that's in the wilderness? And we all are. Um, and some more than others because of very specific and personal circumstances um, in your life. So let's journey together and look at Peter. So as we begin, uh, Peter, I want to read kind of uh, the First Peter 4 passage. Um, and, 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 and this is the anchoring passage uh, the, that we've kind of based our whole series on. I read it a couple times way back in January when we started this. That was a long time ago, Joe. Um, and, and, and so because we're looking at Peter, I want to go to Peter, and this is what Peter writes. And, and this is interesting as we look at the character of Peter and, and what he wrote after Jesus' ascension and as he was continuing to heal from his own failure and, and was anchoring in the hope of God's uh, forgiveness of him, he writes this to you and me today. First Peter chapter 4, he says this, since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more. 
It's hard for me to get my hands on. Yeah, 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 but, 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 no. Yeah, everything and more. Learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. It ain't about you. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. Tyrannized by what you want. God, help me to want what you want. And as I align my heart with you, my heart really does change, and I begin to want what you want. It, it is a lot about desire, but it's a lot about bringing my desires in line, in tune, making the music of God that establishes that hope for the future. So turn back over then to Matthew, and we go into the scene that most everybody is familiar with, with Peter. And so, again, we look at the character Peter, and we want to learn the lessons that God has intended us to learn from Peter. So, Matthew chapter 26, uh, coming to the end of Jesus' earthly life, uh, and Peter is kind of uh, our uh, supporting actor here. Jesus is the star of the show, of course, and Peter is the supporting actor. Verse 57, Matthew 26, the gang that had seized Jesus led him before Caiaphas, the chief priest, where the religion, scholars, and leaders had assembled. Peter followed at a safe distance. Peter followed at a safe distance. Wow. Those are haunting words, are they not? Is that how you do it? You know, uh, kind of like sneak in 10 minutes late to church and sit on the back row and follow at a distance or whatever other metaphor that you can use, you know, follow at a distance, play it safe until they got to the chief priest courtyard. Then he slipped in, he slipped in. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm not 10 minutes late. I'm 20 minutes late. You know, I slipped into the back row and mingled with the servants watching to see how things would turn out watching from a distance. Are you in or are you just playing it safe? The high priest conspiring with the Jewish council tried to cook up charges against Jesus in order to sentence him to death. But even though many stepped up, making up one false accusation after another, nothing was believable. I, I, you know, with all the things going on in our culture, it's hard not to see this and not see, you know, those Senate panels of, of, of whoever it is, whether it's an FBI guy or a Supreme Court uh, guy or whoever it is, uh, that we watch on ceasefire, I mean, not ceasefire, uh, uh, C-SPAN. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, there they are, the intelligentsia, 
and they're seeking to get Jesus. Finally, two men came forward with this. He said, I can tear down this temple of God and after three days rebuild it. He said that. I heard him say it. And the chief priest stood up and said, what do, you, what do you have to say to the accusation? And Jesus kept silent. And then the chief priest said, I command you by the authority of the living God to say, if you are the Messiah, the Son of God, say it, say it. This is so cool. Jesus was curt. And, and, and the way I imagine Jesus saying, you, you have your own imagination. The way I imagine Jesus saying it is he says, you yourself said it. And that's not all. Soon you'll see for yourself the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Mighty One arriving on the clouds of heaven. Now, now guys, I, I think if you had any sense of conscience at all, it, I mean, this is Jesus saying this. I mean, he's, he's the best, not actor in a false sense, but actor in, in a believable sense. He says this. And if you had any sense of conscience at all, I think you would have just, there would have been a sense of reality like, wow, he is saying this in a believable way. And if you had any sense of conscience, I think you would want to just drop to your knees right there. Would you not? But the chief priests lost his temper ripping his robes, yelling, he blasphemed. Why do we need witnesses to accuse him? You all heard him blaspheme. Are you going to stand for such blasphemy? They all said, death. That seals his death sentence. Then they were sitting in his face. They were spitting in his face, not sitting in his face. They were spitting in his face and knocking him around. They jeered as they slapped him. They slapped him. Prophesy, prophesy, Messiah, who hit you that time? Wow. 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 And then we go back to Peter, our supporting actor in the scene. All this time, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and one servant girl came up to him and said, you are with Jesus the Galilean. Here it comes in front of everybody there. He denied it. I don't know who you're talking about. That's one. As he moved over toward the gate, someone else said to the people there, this man was with Jesus, the Nazarene. Again, he denied it. That's two. Salting his denial with an oath. I swear, I never laid eyes on that man. And shortly after that, some bystanders approached Peter. You've got to be one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then he got really nervous, and he swore. And I don't know what he swore. I can only imagine. I don't know the man. That's three. Just then, a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and cried and cried and cried. Guys, I've, I've seen men weep because of their failure. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a painful thing. But I've also seen men re, uh, report their failure like the weather. 
I've, I've seen men report their failure and betrayal, like announcing that the sun came, uh, came up in the east and is going to set in the west. It's like that. That's not profound. It does it every day, you know. But when there is a sense of brokenness, it is powerful. And that's what we see in Peter. I mean, truly in Peter, what we see is tragedy that moves toward triumph. That no doubt Peter wrestled between his faith and his fear as he was following Jesus around, following from a distance, denied him with cursing and swearing. But Peter's faith brought him back to Jesus. See, what we see in, in Peter, along with this tragedy to triumph, is failure and grace. Failure and grace. You to turn over to John chapter 21. I think we can really look at Peter without looking at this passage. I mean, we all know the passage pretty much that I just read. And I think this one is just as familiar in many ways. And this is where, you know, there's been this period of healing for Peter in many ways. But I can only imagine as he's sitting around the fire with Jesus and Jesus is um, uh, feeding the disciples and, and they're talking. And I can only imagine what those conversations were. And Peter looks into the eye, or Jesus looks into the eyes of Peter. And this is what happens. Verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 15 after breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Isn't that interesting? You know, they're sitting around the fire. By the way, uh, Chuck got us a fire this morning. So, you know, I mentioned it two weeks ago and boom, Chuck gets it, you know. Chuck, I'd like to have a, a truck. How about that? <laughs> um, so we've got the fire going on here. And we're sitting around at breakfast, and Jesus looks over at Peter, and he says, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Master, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. He then asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, yes, Master, you know I love you. And Peter must have been moving into some uncomfortable place. It's like, don't you feel the shame of Peter rising up? I mean, he's betrayed him. You know, uh, he, he, he said he wouldn't, and he did. Uh, nobody is, is sitting in that circle is unaware of the betrayal and failure that Peter has experienced. And Jesus is calling him out in front of the whole group. And Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. And there he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was upset that he asked for the third time. And, and again, I, uh, upset, <laughs> in my way of thinking, I wouldn't say upset. I would say he was shamed to the core. 
he felt that. But again, one of the things, as much as we say, you know, shame is bad, shame is not bad any more than anger is bad. God uses shame. Praise God, we can feel shame. He doesn't want us to live in shame, and, 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 but shame is not bad any more than anger is bad in and of itself. It's like God can use shame. Hallelujah. I'm glad you feel shame. Otherwise, you're an axe murderer, and you're burying people under your house, and you're a sociopath, and you have no conscience. Peter felt shame, I think. He was upset. Do you love me? So he answered, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I'm telling you the, the, tr the very truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. But when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. That's, that is one of the most uncomfortable passages in all of Scripture. And I'm closer to realizing the reality of that passage than I was a few years ago. I don't like that passage. He said to this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God, and then he commanded, follow me. Guys, this whole passage is, is, is such an important reminder of the repentance and faith of Peter. I mean, there is always room for forgiveness. And as much as Peter failed, he was met with grace and, 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 and in that grace, uh, God, basically, Jesus basically is saying, I accept you. I forgive you. Um, I don't hold you in a place of shame. Only you would do that. But the best way to handle that shame is to receive my forgiveness and then share with others. Tell your story to others. Feed, what does it mean to feed my sheep? And, and I think very simply, the, the language that we would use is tell your redemptive story to others. That's how you feed sheep. You know, you don't necessarily go to seminary. I, I love that I've got to go to seminary, but it's like, be a pastor, feed my sheep. No, no. Tell your story of healing that's what Feed My Sheep is. And so what are the lessons that we gain from this? And the lessons, first of all, is one of hope. I would just simply say that what we're intended to gain from the life of Peter um, is hope uh, in the shadow uh, of our failures. Uh, there is no sin, there is no betrayal, there is no failure uh, that is outside the bounds of, of Jesus' grace. None, none. It is amazing. Um, this weekend, we're, we're going to have our men's coaching weekend, a.k.a. deer camp. We're in the midst of our 20th year of doing this. And I am so excited. I'm like, this is Christmas for me every weekend because I'm going to see the hand of God bring healing into the hearts of men and hope renewed. What is, what is the way of hope? And I would just say that the way of hope um, that we get from Peter is ownership. You know, there's so much that we um, can gain from understanding what was the difference in Judas's betrayal and Peter's betrayal. And 
and the difference was so much that that Judas just was in uh, completely um, captured by his shame. And, and he tried to do penance. I mean, he tried to give the money back. Um, th this idea of blaming others doesn't work. The idea of making uh, uh, makeup, you know, I, I'll, I'll do more. I'll, I'll make up. I, I'll, I'll give the money back was Judas's idea or just complete despair to be caught up in your guilt. But what we learn from Peter is what the Bible calls repentance. And repentance is simply saying, I betrayed you, I failed. And we take ownership, we take responsibility. Judas died in shame. But it's this idea of ownership that makes all the difference. Um, I wanted to just um, illustrate this with one of Eric Metaxas's seven men. And, and there's a clip that I, I won't have time to show this morning. But uh, character number six in the seven of uh, Metaxas's uh, book is Pope uh, John Paul II. And um, there's a, the, the clip details um, a lot about his life and truly how he brought such healing to many. And I wanted to read just a small portion in uh, Metaxas's book about John Paul II, just another man that we gain great inspiration from. Speaking of John Paul II, in his strengths and weaknesses alike, he demonstrated charity and compassion born out of his belief that every human being is a beloved child of God. George Weigel, a Catholic, acknowledges that Pope John Paul II at times made serious errors in judgment, but that even these were usually connected to his profound disclination to humiliate or make a spectacle of someone else, his intense dislike of gossip, his occasional tendency to project his own virtues onto others, and his determination to find something good in another's actions or words. But the strengths of his beliefs, Weigel adds, was that they sustained him in radical self-giving, only possible through the grace of God in Christ. From a Protestant point of view, David Ackman quotes Billy Graham's statement that Pope John Paul II was, quote, the strong conscience of the whole Christian world. And then Aikman reflects, quote, I'm not a Roman Catholic, and I certainly share many of the Protestant reservations about some aspects of Catholic doctrine and some forms of Catholic devotionalism. Yet it is my view that Pope John Paul II, in his profound spiritual depth, his prayer life, his enormous intellectual universe, his compassion and sympathy for the oppressed, and above all, in his vision of how Christians collectively are supposed to live, is the single, is the greatest single Christian leader of the 20th century. It's quite a quote. There is much to be said for that view. Through the paradoxes of his life, achieving strength through weakness, power through humility, generosity and broad-mindedness through orthodoxy, Pope John Paul II exemplified Christ's radical and revolutionary teaching that whoever loses his life shall find it. 
in his judicious exercise of power in his identification with the powerless, he was a Christian leader of a theological and moral statue that we have seldom seen in our lifetimes. Guys, you know, God has given us great inspiration from characters like Peter and characters like John Paul II. Um, in Peter, um, uh, in your notes, are passages that he writes um, as he writes his letters, First Peter and Second Peter. And it's interesting that Peter uses the term that we have a living hope, a living hope. Now, again, those are great words, but think about that from Peter, a man who experienced the depths of shame, experienced the depths of betraying Jesus, uh, the one who loved him the most, uh, the, who experienced great failure. And he says, you know, in Jesus, we have a living hope. And then in Second Peter, he says, you know, God's given us everything we need to live this life of suffering. Everything we need. He's given us a living hope and everything we need. Um, this past week, um, I wrote a blog on hope that was inspired a lot by what we're talking about this morning. And I'd encourage you to go to our uh, website, hardenlife.com and uh, read the blog uh, that I wrote on hope. Um, it just continues on with a lot of the thoughts we're thinking about this morning. Can't live without hope. And wonderfully, our hope can be inspired by a man like Peter and anchored in the person of Jesus. His grace sustains us. May you see him in your rearview mirror because of what he's done in your life and continue the journey. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you uh, for all that you've given us for our journey today. You have given us a living hope and you have given us everything we need for this day. You have given us our manna already. We're so grateful. Thank you, Lord, for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. See you next week.